Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the fucking Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I'm not going to come on your show and suggest that, like, all oh, the Kuzmenko era is over. And Garland gets it free to Kuzmenko, winding into the slot. In on goal, he scores! Bobrovsky leaves his crease, turned it over to Joshua in front. Oh, what are you doing to the roof, Daddy? Oh, look at that. Look at this, look at that. I don't know if they get any easier than that, but I'm not going to play. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver. Six o'clock on a Friday. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford and his Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Here's Jason Bruff to tell you more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big day, big show. They always are on Fridays, and this Friday is no different. Uh, we're going to be doing Food Bank Friday today, by the way. It's our annual fundraiser, Christmas time for the Food Bank. David Long, the CEO of the Greater Vancouver Food Bank, is going to join us in about 20 minutes to talk about today's, today's initiative. We're going to do a little bit of learning about uh, food waste and a variety of other things that are very important this time of year for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. David Long, the CEO, is going to join us at 6.20, 6.30. Brady Henderson, ESPN's NFL Nation Seahawks insider, is going to join us. Uh, Seahawks don't play for a couple days, not until Monday Night Football in Philadelphia, but we will preview the game with Brady at 6.30. 7 o'clock, AJ from AJ's Pizza on East Broadway is going to join us. Uh, we'll talk a little a little baseball with AJ, but we will also give away a $100 gift card to his fantastic pizzeria. Uh, that's going to go to the best Ask Us Anything. A reminder, it is Ask Us Anything Friday on the show. Uh, we're going to do our locks of the week at 7.15. 7.30, Bob the Moj Marjanovic is going to join us. 8 o'clock, it's Rick Dollywall. We're also giving away tickets to see SmackDown. WWE's Friday Night SmackDown. It's a frightful night. Uh, January 5th, Rogers Arena, we're giving away a pair of tickets. So uh, we'll just set this out at the beginning of the show. If you want to win a $100 gift card to AJ's Pizza Place on East Broadway, send it and ask us anything, hashtag it AUA, and put a pizza emoji into the text. If you want to win WWE SmackDown tickets, that's what we learned. Totally different thing. Not that different. Hashtag it WWL. Put a ticket emoji into the text. All texts must go to 650-650, the Dunbar number text line. Uh, it's Ask Us Anything Friday. we got a bunch of guests. We have a million things to get into. So without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened is brought to you by, by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. What a night at Rogers Arena 
on Thursday night. Roberto Luongo goes into the Ring of Honor in a very fantastic speech by the former number one. Thatcher Demko goes out there on Roberto Luongo night and makes 36 (laughs) saves in a shutout victory. Canucks win their fourth in a row. Canucks win. Canucks win 4 nothing against the Panthers at Rogers Arena. And I, and I thought it was great of Sergei Bobrovsky to uh, pay tribute to Roberto Luongo's stick handling um, <sighs> with that great pass to Dakota Joshua. Laddie, how do we defend the goalie in this instance? Uh, I don't think you can. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, a mistake. Uh, um, you I don't know, like I, the comparison to Luongo, though. So that I was tweet, an unneeded shot. I tweeted, yeah, I know you're very defensive of Luongo. Um, <laughs> what a I, jerk. I tweeted out um, last night after the game that I have not felt this good about the Canucks in a decade. Granted, that might be like kind of a low bar to get over, but I feel better about them than I did during the bubble run. Um, and a lot of it lately stems from their bottom six, which is kind of weird, but I can't say enough about the work that Connor Garland did last night. Uh, and it started with that puck battle he won. At the end of the shift, I think we should mention, that was that was at the end of the shift that he easily could have given up on that play and been like, yeah, I'll just do a flyby. I don't know who the same, or I, I don't know who the Florida Panther was uh, with the puck, but Garland... Worked hard to get it off him. And then Kuzmenko was coming off the bench. He's fresh. And he poked it to Kuzmenko. And Kuzmenko swooped in there. And he made it one nothing. And the Canucks kind of rolled from then. Go- Garland's motor was really running all night. And how about Dakota Joshua with two goals? Um, again, Bobrovsky with just an awful pass to Joshua to make it 3 nothing, but Joshua scored the second goal to make it 2 nothing, And, of course, Brock Besser scored again at the tail end of a 5-on-3 power play. Besser gets another goal from the paint. He's like the new garbage man. Remember when we tried to turn Louis Erickson into the garbage man just because that was the type of goal he typically scored? Well, Besser has scored a lot of goals from in close where he's just where you need to be to put those loose pucks in. And we've always thought of Besser as the scorer who scores on his great shot. And he's done that this year as well. But a lot of goals have been from in tight. Um, You know, the third period, I know the analytics will say that uh, the Panthers controlled play and whatever analytics, whatever. No, but seriously, I watched that third period and it was like, yeah, the Panthers might be racking up shots, but they didn't feel dangerous to me. Like pa- it, 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 it didn't seem like they were going to mount a comeback like the type the, the Leafs mounted on the Columbus Blue Jackets yesterday. The Leafs came back from 5 nothing against Columbus to force overtime. That wasn't what was happening. That was a team, maybe the Canucks, you could say, were sitting back a little too much, well, playing with fire a little bit too much. And I know G.T. Miller after the game was saying that, you know, he was kind of in a grouchy mood for whatever reason, and and he was saying that his line got caved in. But I think this is a team right now, now that's just trying not to feel too satisfied with itself. And Rick Tockett said after the game, you know, like you can appreciate where we're at, but tomorrow is a new day, and you got to earn your earn your ice time the, the next day. And let's not be too satisfied. But I am pretty satisfied with this Canucks team, and they, you know, if you think about how this five game homestand went. Started with a sloppy loss to the New Jersey Devils that I think woke them up. And then they rattle off four straight wins over, yeah, some pretty good teams. 
Here's my takeaway, and it's very befitting uh, the narrative because of what happened last night. So on a night in which we honor the greatest goalie in Vancouver Canucks franchise history and put him up in the ring of honor, on a night where two goalies go to do the ceremonial face-off, it's another fantastic night for Thatcher Demko. Uh, Again, say what you will about the quality of shots or what have you, but it's his uh, third shutout of the year, second shutout on this homestand. So think about this. This homestand, this very important five-game homestand that, as Jason pointed out, was against some very good opponents, starts with a 6-5 loss to the New Jersey Devils. The first game in which the Canucks had surrendered six goals in a single game this season. Just think about what the goalie tandem of Casey DeSmith and Thatcher Demko have done since that six-goal six uh, loss to New Jersey. They come back with DeSmith in the next game. He gets his first shutout as a Vancouver Canuck, a 2-0 win over Minnesota, largely responsible for the win, given how bad they were in the first period, and DeSmith really bailed them out. Then they go three in a row with Demko, and he allows four goals over three games. So, in its totality... Since they allowed the six goals for the first time this season, they then came back, won four straight games, and allowed four goals over those four games. Like, that, to me, is the story of the homestand. I know that there were a million other things. I know that Bessel was racking up goals like crazy. I know that the third line has been fantastic, and, you know, Dakota Joshua got a pair of goals last night. I know uh, Andre Kuzmenko got the game winner last night, but for me, the story of that homestand, now that it's completed and they head out, for the weirdest back-to-back I can remember, the 11 a.m., 12 p.m. back-to-back over the weekend. <laughs> a lot of afternoon hockey. Just bizarre. I mean, it's great, I guess. I didn't realize this. Um, someone kind of put it in my brain last night that this actually gives them the opportunity to fly after the game, get into the city that night, and have, like, a proper evening. You can mm, eat dinner. Sure. You can get checked into the hotel, and then you go to bed. You're not getting in at 2 in the morning. But nevertheless... Um, on Roberto Luongo night, I think it was very befitting that the goaltending was as good as it was. And look, this has been, there's a reason that the Canucks are 29 and 1 through 30 games. There's a reason they have 20 wins through They have 30 29 games. wins and one loss? It's 29 an, and 1? It's wow, a, it's holy a, cow. They've got a really good chance to make the playoffs. <laughs> um, and the goaltending's been a big part of it. They've been healthy, they've been good, and there's been two of them cooking this year. Yeah, so coming up for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, as Halford mentioned, they have a couple afternoon games this weekend. Saturday in Minnesota, that's an 11 a.m. start our time. And then Sunday, they're going to play Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks. Noon start our time. Uh, They head uh, to Nashville after that to play on Tuesday. And Thursday... They're in Dallas before they return home for three games starting against the San Jose Sharks. So So the the nice thing about the schedule, actually, is that in a nine-day stretch after the Nashville game, between the 19th and the 28th, they only play three times, Mm -hmm. right? There's the Christmas break cooked into there as well. But um, after a fairly loaded schedule on that that four-game swing in six nights through Minnesota, Chicago, Nashville, and Dallas, that's a tough swing. Right? There's not going to be a lot of rest in between games. They've got a couple of good opponents in there. But look, and, things, and, and Chicago. Yeah, things. Yeah, and then there's the Chicago Blackhawks, who <laughs> got absolutely pumped last night, by the way. Um, I do want to mention, I was trying to set it up on a tee here, the goaltending thing, because we do need to talk about the Roberto Luongo ceremony yesterday. So it was, um, it was a great speech. That was my first thought and my first takeaway. Actually, I was driving around at the start of the game yesterday, so I got to listen to it in the car. Mm-hmm. The theater of the mind, you know, Jason. Yeah. The, just was, just the audio, no visuals whatsoever. Well, the apparently. visuals was actually pretty impressive because it was just 
Luongo out there all by himself. He was holding court. And look, look, I did see a few complaints that it was kind of a bare bones ceremony, but I thought Luongo's speech was terrific. Uh, Sometimes there's something to be said for the simplicity of a ceremony. And when you've got a guy that can speak to a crowd like Roberto Luongo apparently can, there are not many players. There are not many people. There are barely any politicians that could speak to 20,000 fans like that with no notes. Uh, now I know he felt bad that he forgot to thank his goalie coaches okay. and he mentioned that to Murph in the intermission, but I thought it was just a really genuine and honest speech. He, you know, he thanked his former teammates and coaches and all the people that, that helped him along the way. Um, and I loved that he saved the last part for the fans and I love that it was honest. You know, he had a line where, uh, he said, you know, look, it, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies because there's no sense pretending it was smooth sailing the whole time in Vancouver for Roberto Luongo. It, it wasn't. And that's actually what made his time in Vancouver so fascinating and maybe even so special. Uh, I just hope Luongo felt the love from the crowd. I loved that the crowd lewd every time Demko made a save. I thought that was awesome. Um, But again, I just hope that he felt the love from the crowd. I think he did. Things got pretty intense while he was here for good reasons and bad. Sometimes he was the hero. Sometimes he definitely was not the hero. But it was mostly good times. And without him, I'm not sure if we'd have ever had all those nail-biting moments that makes sports worth watching. I don't know if, you know, without Luongo, what direction the team would have taken. Because, again, if you weren't here when Luongo first came to the Vancouver Canucks, he was 90% of the team. Yep. And I love, uh, by the way, credit to Shorty as well, um, who shared his his memory of Luongo and he shared a, of the, of the first game that he ever saw Luongo play. And it was in Detroit and Luongo was brilliant. And, you know, Shorty was saying that he looked over at Tommy Larshide and he was like, goaltending is going to be a little different from now on. Right. And that's, and there was a feeling in Vancouver for the first few years of Luongo that he was like unbeatable. This right? was going to change everything yeah. in Vancouver. Now some cracks in the foundation, Definitely emerged, um, and a lot of it was because of the series against the Chicago Blackhawks. But, you know, there are three hockey games in my life that I've watched that ended in what I call true sports happiness. Game 7 against Calgary in 1994, when Burray scored. The Olympic gold medal in 2010, and Game 7 against Chicago in 2011. Luongo was the winning goalie in two of those games, mm-hmm. right? So I feel a debt of gratitude to him that he was part of those games. And, and in the I don't even call them games. I call them like experiences because those were experiences. It wasn't even comfortable watching those games, right? Yeah. You're, you, were, you were so nervous, but the sense of joy that I had when they won those games, when Canada won, when Sid scored, when Burroughs scored for the Canucks. And I love that Luongo um, made that part of his speech where, where he said like, most or or even like all of the great moments that I've looked back happened on this ice. And he was pointing to what he was doing when Sid scored and when Burroughs scored and, you know, and and when Bieksa scored as well. Um, It was, uh, I thought it was a terrific speech and uh, credit to Luongo because he went out there, just him, 
a double-breasted suit and a microphone, right? You know, yeah, and, I know. And, no, and it no, was and, right. it, and it was very impressive. And there's not many people that could have pulled that off like he did. Well, you know, I, was, I don't want to get too introspective here on a Friday. We're supposed to be having fun, kicking loose. It's a dog dinner tonight. We're gonna have a good time there. Fiesta Friday. That's right. And food bank Friday. Those two things collide today. But look, um, this is sort of it, okay. Two things here. One, it's the closing of a chapter because for the 2011 group, this kind of it now, right? Like we're, we're 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 done, sort of honoring and celebrating and remembering. I, I think a few more guys might go into the Ring of Honor. I think Edler might go into the Ring of Honor. Right, but the 20. I mean, when you think 2011, you think Sedin's Luongo, Bieksa, Kessler, you know, Burrows, right? They've all sort of had their day. They've had their honor, and I, I you know, it's it's interesting because. Luongo, in a lot of ways, that's an era. Like, we're not going to see that again in goaltending. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to see an NHL netminder play 76 games in a season like Roberto Luongo did in his first year in Vancouver, just right? incredible. Huh? Like, it just, it's it's an unbelievable total. He, he played four straight seasons of over 70 games because he was playing over 70 for the Panthers. It, and, you know, when the Canucks got him, I guess maybe we didn't know as much about the position and the workload that we know now or maybe what's required, but Luongo, I mean, that was a franchise goalie in the truest sense of the word. Some would argue you still don't know. Not right. (laughs) The truest sense of the word, though. When they acquired him, it wasn't just about, uh, you know, digging up the bones of the goalie graveyard and sort of exercising the demons. There was also a sense of this guy in the net is our MVP. He's our best player. He means everything to the group to the point where they named him captain. And I know we talked about it yesterday and he talked about what a big moment that was for his career and how much it felt to him. But I don't think you're ever going to see those things again, right? Who's, is there really now a franchise goalie? That's an MVP of the team. Like you could make the argument that Thatcher Demko might be it for the Canucks, but Thatcher Demko is not going to get to 76 games played. They're not going to run him out there every single night. Hellebuck maybe in Winnipeg. I can see Maybe, him. maybe, right? But the, that, that whole era is gone. And, you know, I, I often think about it when I was thinking about this last night about the guy where everything is placed upon his shoulders. Maybe that's why Luongo had so many peaks and valleys during his time in Vancouver. It's possible, it's yeah. Because he, yeah it's because he had a lot of responsibility thrust upon him. Well, Gillis was actually saying that uh, um, on that interview with Matt and Blake, he was saying that um, one of the reasons they turned to Corey Schneider at times was because they thought, and and in the playoffs, they thought Luongo was tired. It could be. And, you know, and and Gillis was, of course, at the forefront in terms of NHL executives tracking fatigue and sleep, and he'll tell you about it. But, like, you know, um, you know, I I do wonder um, sometimes... You know, if things would have gone a little bit different in some of these playoffs, if Luongo had had more rest during the regular season. Right. But, you know, like, I, I, anyway, I don't want to go down that road. No, no, I just want right to go now. down the road of, look, this is a big guy that I, you know, in a lot of ways, you're not going to see another Roberto Luongo because partly because of the personality, partly because of the time. Like, you're never going to recapture that moment in time, right? It's just one of those things. But it's very interesting. And, you know, it's a great thing in a lot of ways, right? Because you want to be – remember his particular time 
in history. And it's been done now, right? He's going to be forever in the ring of honor. Okay, uh, we need to switch gears right now. What we're going to do is we're going to bring you guys uh, up to speed with the Food Bank Friday initiative here. Not just at Sportsnet 650, but across all the stations that are in the building right now. City News, Sonic, etc. If you want to donate online before we get to David Long, the CEO of the Greater Vancouver Food Bank, uh, there's two ways to do so. You can donate online at the Greater Vancouver Food Bank website uh, via the secure GVFB portal. Or you can do it, and our favorite really, via text and emoji. You can text to 30333. Now, listen carefully. I'm going to break this down, okay? Oh, boy. A carrot emoji is a $5 donation. A banana emoji is a $10 perfect, (laughs) which is perfect, really. What does a banana cost these days? And a heart emoji, a $25 donation to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. Again, the text line is 30333. Joining us on the line now, he is the CEO of the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. David Long joins us now on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, David. How are you? I'm very well, guys. How are you? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this this morning. This is a very important initiative. Jason and I have done a lot of stuff with the Greater Vancouver Food Bank in the past. So let's get to some specific here. Um, I got in the notes talking about understanding what food insecurity is. Can you let our listeners know exactly what food insecurity is and how it impacts people in our community? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, food insecurity is is really people, individuals, families, um, every walk of life. When you uh, when you really when you've paid all your monthly bills and you don't have the money left uh, at the end of all of those things, you put food on the table and you're you're going hungry and you're you're skipping meals. We have a lot of parents coming right now, um, you know, with children that uh, they're they're feeding their kids and they're skipping meals to do that. Can you let us know how things like the crazy uh, rise in rent and inflation have affected the work that you've been doing? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's the same, like literally it's right across Canada. Um, in fact, it's, it's, it's all over the world. Um, we're just seeing this, this, the situation where, uh, there's about 17% of people that use food banks in Canada are actually have full-time jobs for us at the greater Vancouver food bank. It's 30% of the people that we support actually have jobs and it's because of their rent. It's because of the, the price of everything else and their bills. Um, that you know their, their incomes just have not kept up with uh, with what's going on out there. And uh, unfortunately, this is the uh, you know you, you can't skimp on your rent. You got to pay the rent and you got to pay your bills. And uh, the one area where people can skimp and, and try to save some money or try to get by is uh, by not 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 buying food or not having food. Uh, we're speaking to David Long here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. He is the CEO of the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. Visit them online at foodbank.bc.ca. Uh, the topic of wasted food, David, I understand that's one of the key initiatives this year. And recovering food within your particular industry. Again, can you let our listeners about what you guys are doing with regards to wasted food and recovering food? Uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting. When you talk, you talk to people about waste food and they think, it's food that has sort of passed its best date. Um, and, and so we really like to talk about recovering food. And there is so much food out there. And I mean, I'm, from, from my team and my staff that are li- listening to me right now, they're going to be laughing at me because I always say the same thing. There's no shortage of food. Right. There's a distribution problem. And, and so we, we work with an amazing organization out in Langley called Refeed Farms. Um, Stuart is the, the, the founder CEO of Refeed, an amazing organization. Uh, he's been in the waste haul industry for many years. And got fed up dumping perfectly good food. And we have such crazy 
policies and guidelines in places of these grocery chains. Um, one quick example that I give to people all the time is, you know, we a few months ago, we got about 10,000 pounds of avocados in those green nets. And there's right. absolutely not, nothing wrong with them, like nearly five tons of avocados. And I was walking around holding these green nets saying, thank people, what's wrong with these avocados? Tell me what's wrong with them because they're perfect. And they were half a centimeter too small. And they were rejected by one of the grocery chains <laughs> for being half a centimeter too small. Uh, now you and, may, oh, sorry, keep going. No, no, I was just going to say, and, and it's, it's, you know, this is, it's ridiculous. And, and so we took those avocados, we're handing out avocados, fresh avocados to people. It's, uh, it's, it's awesome. So it's not really food waste, it's food recovery of what is being sent to landfill that's perfectly healthy, nutritious food. Um, this is gonna, might put you on a little bit of a spot, but what do you guys, um, I mean, getting people fed is the most important thing, but what about getting young kids nutritious meals? Because sometimes, you know, the least nutritious meals are the cheapest, and that's how some people, you know, it's better than nothing, Well, a lot of people. What do you, what do, you do about nutrition for kids? Uh, well, we put a we put a huge focus on nutrition. So, you know, when when you say to someone, somebody says, oh, "What do you do?" I say, oh, "I work at the, at the food bank." You can almost see in their eyes there's this automatic kind of feeling that, "Oh, you're handing out boxes of craft dinner and, and instant noodles," and people having a tough time. Food insecure people. That's actually what they can afford. They can afford the noodles and those mm-hmm. high sodium noodles at the dollar store. So we put a, a huge focus at the food bank on um on healthy food and so in the last five years that i've been there we've gone from we when i started we handed out 20 percent of what we handed out was fresh and now we're, we're touching 70 percent fresh so we don't hand out instant noodles anymore we don't hand out craft and what we're actually giving are eggs and milk and cheese and dairy fruit root vegetables and, and protein meat um and, and fish and, and different things like that because that's what we want to try and do and then we also have monthly programs uh, when you register with the food bank, you know, you need some help, come and see us, please. There's no shame in it at all. Register with us, just a couple of quick questions. Who's in your family? What age are your kids? And we will give you food programs for babies, for, for, for like zero to two years old, you know, preschoolers, grade schoolers. We have programs so you'll get food every week. And then once a month, you'll get special programs for those kids. And those are the things that, you know, when people are doing, that they, when they donate money to us to help us do what we do, that's where we're really putting the money towards, to purchasing that food that's healthy, nutritious for kids, because that's so vitally important. David, thanks for taking the time to join us today. You're doing amazing work, and well, anytime you ever need any help from this show in particular, uh, please feel free to reach out. Listen, guys, thank you so much for doing this as well. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Food Bank Friday, and, you know, this is, a, this is just, you make me so happy when you ask me to come on the show, honestly, because it's just getting, getting the word out there and talking to people, and there, there is so much good out there, let me tell you. Like, I see it every day. There's so many people that want to help and guys like yourself, so thank you for doing this. Thanks, uh, enjoy, enjoy the holidays, David. Have a happy new year. Thank Thanks, you. bud. Appreciate Take it. Care. Uh, that is David Long, CEO of the Greater Vancouver Food Bank here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Visit them online at foodbank.bc.ca and I will run through the emoji thing yet again. If you want to donate to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank, text to 30333. That's 30333. Carrot emoji, $5. Banana emoji, $10. And a heart emoji, $25. we got a lot more to get to on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Brady Henderson, our Seahawks insider from ESPN, is going to join us next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
6.33 on a Friday. So we got Fiesta Friday. Correct. Also marrying your love of Christmas. Hey, we're pretty close now. You get your 10 tiny, days away. You get your tiny little hat on. Are you going on vacation? Yeah, I'm off next week. Are you? I yeah. didn't even know that. My daughter's birthday week, too. Aw, happy birthday, Rosie. She uh, 19, 17, 16? How old is she now? Uh, two. She's two. Yeah, okay, I they grow up so fast. Pretty close. <laughs> it's not that fast, apparently. <laughs> Alfred Ruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, Brady Henderson joins us now. Seahawks insider from ESPN here on the Alfred and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Brady. How are you? Hey, good morning, fellas. What's going on? Uh, not much. Looking ahead all the way to Monday night for the latest Seahawks test. It is the Seahawks. It is the Eagles. Seahawks are four-point dogs in Philly. Uh, but a lot of No, talk- not in Philly. At home. Sorry, at home in Seattle. Mm-hmm. My bad. Sorry. Four the F- the Philly yes. fans are angry because the game got flexed to That's Monday. That's right. It got flexed to Monday. My mm-hmm. bad. Hand up on that one. The reason that I overlooked where the game was going to be played is, quite frankly, not a lot of people this week have looked towards the Eagles game. They've been looking back on this losing streak and a lot of talk this week. Jason brought this up as well about Pete Carroll losing the dressing room during one of the worst losing streaks of his Seahawks tenure. Now, I don't necessarily want to ask you if Pete has lost the room or not. That's really hard to say. But I do want to ask you about how frustrated Pete Carroll seems with his football team at the moment. Yeah, it's he is frustrated. And, you know, I think one of the remarkable things about Carroll is for 14 years, however long he's been in Seattle, his consistency from one day to the next, like regardless of, you know, win or lose, or if they suffer a horrible loss, like he is still the same person, you know, cracking jokes and, and players talk about that. It's evident to us when we talk to him uh, in his press conferences and just see him kind of bouncing around the facility. I, I, I promise you, you would not know typically, you know, uh, whether or not they lost or won the week before, even the day before. Uh, and it has been different this week, at least earlier in the week when I think that loss was still fresh and then the immediate aftermath of it. And then on Monday when, you know, we hear from him on his radio show and then in his afternoon press conference. And the reason I say that is he got a little testy on his radio show. And then in the afternoon press conference, actually both on the radio show. And then, um, you know, a couple hours later, he did something he almost never does, which is mention players by name, single out players by name, um, while talking about certain errors. And the two examples were the Jamal Adams uh, touchdown that he allowed to Debo Samuel when he just got caught completely flat-footed in the secondary. Um, and then the George Kittle touchdown when everybody bit on the play fake and, and um, he made it clear that Rick Wollen was the, the guy who really erred on that play, that he was supposed to have Kittle there. And so, you know, the, the Adams one was, was – obvious it's one thing to call out a guy when everybody watching that game knows that you know he was the one at fault and Adams even owned up to it afterwards but it was I think it was even more notable that he sort of corrected the narrative that um you know it looked like on the on the uh, Kittle play it looked like Julian Love was the guilty party because you know he everybody bites and then Julian Love kind of doubles back and he's the guy chasing Kittle uh, but he sort of corrected that and said it was actually Rick Woolen, and and he was mad that you know they had sort of drilled that into the players' heads, you know, going into it that okay the 49ers never run the ball on second and nine, and yet everybody bites on the play fake uh, on second and nine, and they score a touchdown there. So you just don't hear Carroll do that, uh, even when we try post game when we're trying to figure out who screwed up on a play, he he just refuses to go there, and so. 
yeah, it was pretty notable that he went there. And uh, I think this is the product of a four-game losing streak, the first time they've, they've lost that many games under Carroll. Is Woolen having a sophomore slump, or was he doing things last year that we might have just overlooked? Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of interceptions, but because he was a rookie, maybe let him slide on some things like tackling or details of coverage or, or, or whatever, or is he just not playing as well as he did last season? No, that's a good point, and it is it is a little bit of both. I mean, he had all the interceptions last year, and for a you know rookie fifth round pick who had only played cornerback a couple of years, it was a great season, and he deserved to be a Pro Bowler. But it, he did not have a Sauce Gardner type season. Like Sauce Gardner might have been the best cornerback in football last year. Wollen was really good, and he had more interceptions, but he also allowed more big plays, and and there were some some you know typical rookie mistakes, but you just haven't seen him this year clean those up in the way that you would like a guy going from, you know, his rookie year to the next year uh, to clean it up. Now, I think there's a couple factors there. One, I kind of get the sense that, um, you know, he, he might have let all of the positive attention and all of that success last year as, as quickly as it came, as unexpected as it was for, you know, a fifth round pick who, you know, was considered a project. I kind of wonder if he let some of that get to his head and and maybe didn't attack this off season the way that he needed to. But I also know that, you know, he got hurt in um, training or in the spring. And for a guy who, again, was very new to that position, just a young player in general, uh, but one who was also very new and still pretty raw. I think the time that he missed uh, following knee surgery, he missed a good chunk of the off season. I, I think that set him back too, just from a development standpoint, like, that injury probably hurt him more than it would a typical young player just because he still has so much to learn at cornerback. And so uh, between those two things, I think you're seeing a guy who just is, is struggling to uh, you know, maintain the momentum from last season. And I do kind of get the sense that Carroll is, uh, is getting pretty frustrated with him. And I do wonder if we're going to see, I don't know if it's going to be a, a full-fledged benching, but I do wonder if we are going to see more of Mike Jackson they're gonna, if we're going to see him rotate uh, on the right side with Wolin there. I mean, Mike Jackson, remember, he was a starter last year, mm-hmm. played pretty well. He's a guy who works his tail off, and I could see them using this as an opportunity to kind of reward him and sell it as, as primarily that is, yeah, he deserves to play. Um, and there's an argument that he does. He played pretty well last week when he came in that game, and so I, I do wonder if we're going to see more of him this week. You know, I hadn't really thought about it until this past past week, but I was reading around and looking at some of the stats on it. So on paper, you've got Witherspoon, Adams, Diggs, and Woolen. Eh, good secondary, right? And on paper, it's solid, but they haven't been able to stop the pass very effectively, which is a key part to any secondary. Why is that? What's going on here? It seems important. Yeah, pretty important for a secondary. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's that, that group in general, I think, I think the safety group in particular has been a pretty big, pretty big disappointment. It's the highest paid safety group in the NFL in terms of cap dollars allocated to that group this season. And they're just not, they're, I mean, Adam's, Look, that situation is what it is. He he was the guy who was, has always struggled in coverage, and I think the whole idea of playing him closer to the line of scrimmage this season um, that was designed to get him out of those disadvantageous coverage situations and get him into you know more where he's being a factor against the run and where he's blitzing. But he just hasn't really made a factor as a blitzer. He's he's had some nice plays against the run, some nice you know kind of sideline to sideline tackle for loss type plays, but. 
he he's getting beat in coverage and and he's getting exposed in that way. That you know the last couple of games he allowed the go ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter against Dallas, and again just looked you know totally flat footed on the uh, on the Debo Samuel touchdown. And so you know Diggs, I, I think with Diggs the one thing I, I don't know if his season is quite as bad as, as some people seem to think it is because his job first and foremost is to take away the seams and the posts. Um, and as you know, that deep middle field safety, I think he is by and large doing that job. You don't see a lot of deep balls get completed, you know, like that over his head. So he is doing that part of his job, which is his main job, but uh, just the tackling has not been there. And, and he seems to have kind of a penchant for wanting to just, you know, uh, just run in there and like a missile, try to blow somebody up without wrapping up. And I just don't think that that works in the NFL when guys are bigger and, better at bouncing off tackles, especially the 49ers. Um, and then, you know, Julian Love has, has been okay. I thought he had kind of a rough start to the season, but he, he's been the one guy who's been, I think, steady there in terms of doing what he's asked. He had a couple takeaways last week against San Francisco. And, again, it sounds like as much as he might have looked like he got beat on the Kittle touchdown, it doesn't sound like he was the one who was, who was at fault on that play. We're speaking to Brady Henderson, our ESPN Seahawks insider here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, this next question is away from the on-field, away from the X's and O's and scheming and strategy. But I think it's important. Based on what we've seen between, and I'm going to focus on two guys in particular, DK Metcalf and Jamal Adams this season, is it fair to suggest that there might be a character issue with this Seahawks team not necessarily just because of these two, but because of what these two have done over the last few weeks? Um, well, maybe, but could you have said the same thing about, you know, some of the, the 2013, 2014, like the early LOB years? Like those guys had, those guys had quite some attitude to them as well. And <laughs> That's I think true. this is one of those things that, you know, it, when, when they're winning, that it's almost like an endearing trait. But then when they're losing, it just it's a huge turnoff. And look, I, I think we, we talked. I don't know how much we talked about Adams. I can't remember that. But that that was gross. What we went over it pretty thoroughly. Happened. Yeah, and you said the same thing. You said it was, it was one of the worst things that you've seen from a pro yeah. athlete. Yeah. On and you also yeah. said he okay. probably he's not going to be on the team next season. Okay, sorry. It's, it's when six thirty in the morning. I can't remember. It's what early. Comes out of my yeah. mouth. But uh, uh, with with DK, I mean, I, and I think we've talked earlier in the season about. Him, him and some of his antics. I, I actually don't think that what we saw in the end of that game Sunday was totally the same thing as, as some of the other, you know, incidents where he's lost his cool. I mean, I think in, in his defense, um, you know, he didn't know that Fred Warner had, had, uh, you know, gotten rid of the ball. So he, I don't think in his mind he was late. He was, you know, throwing him down to the ground late because he thought uh, Warner was still the ball carrier. And then, you know, Warner, I think, bears responsibility for some of that interaction mm-hmm. when he comes, you know, behind that play, comes up and shoves DK uh, in the back of the head pretty violently. So um, I, I think the lasting image of that game for a lot of people is Metcalf going after Warner and grabbing his face mask, which is it's kind of the indelible moment of that game. And that, that was a pretty violent act. But I think in this case, that wasn't just like, oh, they were losing and he wasn't getting the ball and he's frustrated. I think that was precipitated by, you know, something that the 49ers did. And so um, if that was just a one-off thing, you probably wouldn't think a whole lot of it. But his history, I think his reputation definitely works against him. And you're seeing, continuing to see teams, you know, know that they go into games knowing that, hey, you can get 14 to lose his cool. I think Kyle Shanahan had some comments about that afterwards that they knew at some point they would get him to – 
uh, to lose it, and they did. But to me, that wasn't the same as some of the other other instances of that earlier this season. So, Brady, uh, the Seahawks are underdogs in this game, but not huge underdogs, and the Eagles are looking a little vulnerable over the last few weeks. Um, What is the? Can you give us a quick injury update on all the Seahawks' key players, starting with Geno Smith, the quarterback? Yeah, so Geno uh, was a limited participant yesterday. That was their first practice of the week because everything's pushed back a day with the Monday night game. And Pete Carroll, you know, he's still describing him as day-to-day, but just reading between the lines, Pete Carroll seems to be very encouraged by that. He said Geno felt really good. Um, He was in the walkthrough, and then he pre-practiced and uh, was moving around pretty well. So I get the hunch, I get the sense that Geno is going to play this week. Um, and then they've got you know some other guys who are uh, who were limited yesterday, and Jordan Brooks didn't practice. Uh, Jamal Adams didn't practice for whatever that's worth. Uh, and then yeah, you know, the good news is that the running backs both made it out of that game uh, against San Francisco, both feeling pretty good. Ken Walker the third and Zach Charbonnet apparently have no issues uh, with what they were dealing with going into that game. They were both full participants yesterday as was Abe Lucas, and I think that is maybe as encouraging as anything just because when he's right, he might be their best offensive lineman. And he played most of that game, his second game back from uh, in his return from the knee injury, uh, I think 53 of 59 snaps. And, and Pete Carroll said that Lucas came up to him earlier in the day yesterday and said he feels like he's really back now. And so um, you, that, is, that is, would be hugely important for their offensive line if that is the case. Brady, this was great, man. Thanks, as always, for doing it. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game on Monday night. We'll do this again next Friday. Sounds good, fellas. Have a good weekend. See you. Yeah, you too. Thanks. That's Brady Henderson, our Seahawks insider from ESPN's NFL Nation here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Friendly reminder, the game is indeed in Seattle. Not Philadelphia, as I said earlier. Seahawks four-point dogs on that one. I will also remind you that we're going to be doing our NFL locks of the week in the 7 o'clock hour brought to you by by playnowsports.com. So stay tuned for that. We're also going to talk to AJ from AJ's Pizza and give away a $100 gift card uh, for the best Ask Us Anything. But before we do any of that... I I haven't asked us anything for you. Oh, do you have business to take care of? No. You can ask me anything. um, Wasn't I so right about the St. Louis Blues? It's not really an Ask Us Anything. Wasn't I? more like a pat you on the back. Yeah, 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 but that's fine. Yeah, you were right about they're, the St. Louis Blues. They're a mess, and um, you know, I well, thought you were I, wrong actually because you said Craig Berube was going to be the first coach fired this season. He was mm-hmm. the third. You big stupid jerk, right? But, but yeah. like that team is broken, right? That team is fundamentally such a mess right now. Craig Berube fired. Yes. Jordan Cairo getting booed by the fans last night after what seemed like a pretty dismissive comment of Barube's firing. Jordan Cairo crying after the game to like Jordan Cairo. Okay. Crying after the game to reporters because it was so hard for him to hear the boos. Um, but also, I think this all goes back to the general manager, Doug Armstrong, who frankly has done a pretty poor job of. Um, He's flailing transitioning right now. from that Stanley Cup core, which had Ryan O'Reilly and Alex Petrangelo, to whatever the Blues are right now, and what the Blues are right now is a complete mess. Can I just like this is Doug Armstrong's failing, a hundred percent. So to take you through the chronology of this, um, in 2019, he's got this team, this rudderless team that's right near the bottom of the NHL standings. He has this. Fourth down, Hail Mary move where he brings in 
Craig Berube and Jordan Bennington takes over in goal and they take off like no other franchise in NHL history. They go from worst to first. They win the Stanley Cup. You know, they exit the sad club. It's great. You know, the blues are the talk of the hockey world. And then I think maybe, maybe he bought into the magic and into the mystique a little bit too much. Maybe thought that this was a a more solid foundation as opposed to a magical run. And it was both. They had good players, but then the whittling away process started to happen, right? Petrangelo gone, Ryan O'Reilly gone. Big key fundamental parts of a team that, let's be clear, embodied how Craig Berube wanted to play hockey. They out-Bruins the Bruins in that Stanley Cup final. Ryan O'Reilly, that's a guy that can play Craig Berube hockey. I know what Merrick was saying. Like, now, in the modern version with the team that he's got, he'd take all Braden Shens and <laughs> Robert Mortuzos, right? Anyway, <laughs> Armstrong then puts the future of the franchise in the hands of Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. You know, their prospects, their young guys, their draft capital, tra- you know, translated into these young, talented players. And then it didn't work. But Craig Berube was still the coach, and Thomas and Cairo were still the key guys on this team, as guys like, you know, Petrangelo and O'Reilly left. And it was a terrible fit. Then the, the, the real crux happened at the end of last season because Armstrong, having committed big financial money to Thomas and Cairo, said at the end of the year, he's like, it's on these guys to get better, and it's on us to figure out what makes these young guys tick mm-hmm. with their, their Instagrams and their Snapchats and everything else. Do we have the Berube audio from last February? Probably not at the ready, no. Oh, okay. But anyway, I mean, I, the, the synopsis of it was there was a divide between what the general manager and the coach knew that they needed and then what Cairo and Thomas were providing. And, you know, they said things like, you know, these guys don't care about the team. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Berube saying, like, I don't know. I guess, I guess I, he said, I guess they don't care about the team. They need, and they, then Robert yeah. Thomas pushed back and he said that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, but, you know, when it came to Jordan Cairo, look, I know we don't look at plus minus as much anymore, but the guy was a minus 38 last season. And the issue was that <laughs> I think Armstrong and Berube knew what it took to win because they had won. And Thomas and Cairo thought they knew. Then <laughs> that's a big difference, right? Between actually knowing and thinking that you know. Because all Berube kept saying is, these guys aren't giving enough. And I don't think that it's through any fault of their own. Maybe they just don't even know what it takes to get there. So I want to play the audio from last night. Because Jordan Cairo, and look, here's the thing. The guy obviously cares. This is why I say like they maybe they think that they know what it takes as opposed to actually knowing because he cares. He was very upset yesterday that he got booed on home ice in a win, I will remind you. They beat the Ottawa Senators last night uh, getting a win for their new head coach, Drew Bannister. But while that was happening, Jordan Cairo was getting booed by the mm-hmm. fans who knew that he was part of the reason the Bruway was fired. Well, he also made those comments, right? He made the comments, yeah. and the fans liked Craig Berube. He was a coach that brought them a Stanley Cup. You know, it's hard mm-hmm. to, you're not knifing a, a respected and beloved head coach in the back, but you certainly didn't help him stay employed. And then when he left, you were kind of callous in your remarks, Jordan Cairo. So the fans let him know about it yesterday. They booed him. Uh, here's the post-game audio. If you haven't heard it, Jordan Cairo uh, getting visibly visibly shaken and starting to cry uh, in his post-game availability following a 4-2 win over the Ottawa Senators on Thursday night. 
Um, it's definitely the toughest game I've probably played, to be honest. But any of your teammates or anybody from the organization talk to you about it? Um, I mean, obviously my teammates have my back, right? So you're getting pretty emotional here. Where are the emotions coming from? I mean, it's just tough, right? Like. You know, I love playing here, so it's just it's tough to hear the fans booing me there. Sorry. Uh, so good that team on, is a complete mess. It is good a, on you for astutely mess. pointing out that the Blues are a mess. And I don't know where they go from here, really. Yeah. You look at the way that the roster's constructed and the guys that they've got. Well, do they have to bring in a new coach that's going to be nice to Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, right? right? That's why they brought in, uh, what's his name? Well, Drew Bannister's uh, interim coach. I don't think he's, uh, you know, he's going to get the chance. To be, you know, have his name in the hat, but I think they just, I think Doug Armstrong had to fire Craig Brew because things were going so badly. Uh, Pierre Lebrun did throw it out there that Bannister is going to be considered for the long term gig. But you got, remember when Craig Berube won the Stanley Cup, technically he was the Wesley, I'm coach. so surprised that you haven't gone off on giving these young players these long term contracts out of their ELCs. Because this is the risk you run. Like, I mean, they're, may, the, maybe, they're the textbook example. Maybe the maybe you know if you if yeah they might turn into great deals. They might turn into great deals, and they still could for the Blues. Those guys are still pretty young. They're mid twenties. But what if they aren't the guys to build your team around? What if that proves what? If, what if they aren't ready for that job? And we saw it a little bit earlier in the season with Matthew Boldy under a lot of pressure in Minnesota. That led to a coach firing, and fortunately he's bounced back a little bit since John Hines took over. But you put a lot of pressure on these young players to carry the mail when you give them these deals. They go from the, the young, you know, innocent kids that are making next to nothing on their ELCs to like, hey, kid, time to perform. Let's go. Yeah, now you're getting booed and you're crying. I mean, it, that's how quickly you're <laughs> going And now you're getting booed and you're crying. And that's what happens guy, with these long-term contracts. The they guy, all in the same. To the guy texting in that millennials are weak, he's got to be careful because I might start crying. That is a very rude comment to make. Are you triggered? I'm triggered. Millennials are not weak. Don't worry, like I'll give this. you a participation ribbon in the in the break. Thank I like you. this. You think a player from the '80s would be crying about fans booing? I actually texted that in, so uh, well, that I was mean, my text. Probably be from, from Jason Brown to Jason Brown. You would bury those tears. It'd probably you would be, bury them. They'd be super high on coke. They wouldn't know what's going on. That's true. That'll take care of everything. Okay, uh, seven o'clock hour coming up. We are going to talk to AJ from AJ's Pizza. We're going to start giving away a $100 gift card to his pizzeria. We're going to do our NFL Locks of the Week, and we're going to talk to Moj. It's a big hour. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.